Hey everyone, this is Michael Camella, principal at Nathaniel Green Middle School in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome to The 721, our podcast for our school, where we get to know our faculty, staff, and personnel here at the school a little bit better. Um, this week, um, we had a short week here at the school um, due to Rosh Hashanah, um, but we had a very successful cross-country meet on Thursday where six of our girls finished in the top ten, so a shout-out to them. Um, also, we had a wonderful CPT as we finished part two of our relationship mapping. So what we're doing to um, improve the relationship or, and get to know our students better so that we can um, increase our time with them in the classroom and increase their time learning with us. So we had a great uh, um, second week of that, and we're looking forward to continuing that work again in the uh, winter. Um, this week, our podcast is Mr. Salisbury, a great aide. Uh, ELA and ESL teacher. So we hope you give a listen and enjoy. All right, so this week I am here with uh, James Salisbury. He is probably the, the first teacher here that I connected with just based on uh, similar interests. I think it was day one of my first year here. So, Mr. Salisbury, tell us about your role here at Nathaniel Green. Well, um, here at Nathaniel Green, for the past six years, I want to say, six or seven years, I have been um, the eighth grade ESL teacher. Um, I've worked primarily with the um, L students to help try to raise their access scores, their star scores, and just more or less help expose them to a greater range of um, English language skills, while at the same time exposing them to the English curriculum in terms of uh, Common Core, literature, grammatical standards, et cetera, et cetera. So you mentioned being here for the last seven or eight years. How long have you been in education altogether? Um, if I'm doing my math correctly, which as an English teacher, I could be completely wrong in this, <laughs> but I'd like, I think this is my 11th year total uh, teaching because I graduated college in 2008 so I'm yeah this is the 11th year what college you go to I went to Rick which also happens to be my team for um my my grade so that is a happy little coincidence so go anchorman go anchorman I went I was also I am also a Rick graduate both my undergrad and my my master's in educational leadership and I was there the same years as you, it sounds like. It's, it's a wonder that we didn't cross paths there. I was there, I think I graduated in 2007. I went there, I entered in 2000. Um, I went there from 2000 to 2004. I was there originally my degrees. I got a degree in um, justice studies and then a degree in psychology. And then realized that without the master's degree, I couldn't do much with either of them. So I worked at a bank for about two months and realized it was the single worst mistake in my life I ever made. <laughs> um, but luckily, I never get a late fee or overdraft fee now because I know how to talk to banks. But I went back and then I was back from 2005 to 2008. So yes, we probably could have crossed paths, but I spent a lot of my time when I went back um, in an on-campus job because it got a hell of a lot more expensive real quickly. So I played, I played baseball there. So I was on campus quite a bit my first you know, few years. And then once I stopped playing baseball, you know, it, was, it was going to class and then going home. Yeah, it's very much a commuter school. 
Yeah. So you had mentioned being a banker at one point or yes. working in the banking industry. What brought you back to be a teacher? Um, a couple of factors. I've always loved um, English. It was not always my best um, subject in school. My best subject in school is math. The problem with me and math is I look at at math as a puzzle and I just figure it out. I cannot explain to others how I figure it out. So it's not really beneficial for me to be a math teacher because I wouldn't be able to explain how to do a proper equation because I just know it. Um, I did like English though. I like the fact that with English, a lot of times there's no right or wrong and it allows everybody to have their say as long as they properly are equipped to justify their means. And I really like that because one of my main philosophies as a teacher is um, I don't like the, I, I'm a big fan and a proponent of portfolio grades because testing, especially in English, it's not a proper reflection of um, a student's ability um, to use this um, to build an analogy with my father. My father had what he referred to as white wall syndrome. My father was healthy a lot of times, but whenever he went to the doctors, it would reflect, oh, he has really high blood pressure, this and that. And he always said, as soon as he saw the white walls of the doctor's office, his blood pressure shot up because it became self-fulfilling prophecy. He'd be worried about it. So portfolios and everything in English, it allows you to show what you know over time. It's not like a test is a single snapshot. You build the whole picture album. So I really like that. And um, there's also a fun little side story. I was working um, even when I worked at the bank. For a number of years, I worked at a video store. And we talking Blockbuster, major video type store? Or? Uh, FYE. FYE. But I worked sure. in the video section. But um, I saw my old eighth grade English teacher one day. And she was walking by and I found out like she was moving to Florida the next day. And all she said to me, she didn't say hi. She didn't say anything. She's like, so are you an English teacher yet? <laughs> and I was actually thinking recently before going back to school for English. So I was like, well, maybe that's the universe's sign that this is what I'm meant to do. I'm usually very, very happy with my decision. The only time I'm not is usually in those late nights where I'm trying to correct all the work. It's just like, I just want to go to bed. It is always a challenge in this profession to, to find time to, to get everything done. No matter what role I've been in, whether it was a teacher or a teacher leader or a specialist or now as a principal, time has always been my biggest challenge, especially now. I know I have two little ones at home. I know you have a little one at home, so I can only imagine. Oh, yes. I, I usually am not able to, if, when I take my materials home to correct them, I'm usually not even able to touch him until he goes down to sleep. And that's why I'm thankful that most of my curriculum right now is um, all digital. Like I have my students submit their materials in Google Docs, on Google Classroom. It's done through StudySync or Eyelet. So it just makes it so much easier so I'm not carrying the crates of notebooks back and forth from home. That is certainly one of the, the, um, the positives of using technology in the classroom. Yes, and also you can never have a student say, well, you lost my notebook. Well, no, it's online. You either submitted it or you didn't. <laughs> That's true as well. So what's been the best part of your role as an educator here at Green? My best role, well, again, students might say it's one thing. I'm going to say the, my view is I'm just building the relationship with students and um, 
helping them achieve something that they didn't think they previously could. Um, I've t- I tell my students at the beginning of every year, there's a difference between being necessarily a good person and a good student. You could get straight A's in a class. That doesn't necessarily make you a good student because if the work comes easily to you, you're not challenging yourself, you're not trying, that doesn't make you a good student. But I can have students who get C's and they struggle for those C's, but they're working hard, they're trying, they're looking at things differently. And they're great students because they're tr- they're going through the the learning procedure. They are trying their hardest to improve what they know. And I really like seeing somebody um, using something that this administration, I really like that you guys are focusing on, um, focusing on the growth mindset. They're not like, I can't do this, but they're like, I'm going to do this. Um, again, something I tell my students just because you can't do it today doesn't mean you can't do it tomorrow. I love the growth mindset work. It's, it's something I think I've always had that growth mindset, you know, in most areas, certain areas, no, I've had to work at it. Um, but I didn't know it was called that until I read that work by Dweck. And then again, there's a math, math, mathematical mindset, same type of work by uh, Joe Bowler, which is really great as well. Um, I, I love when you find out like all this, these ideas and um, philosophies you've had before and finding out that you're not the only one because it just taps into a whole untapped part of the, I'm going to call it hive mind because I think that's mm. the easiest way to do it, the hive mind of educators. And it's great here. Uh, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to work with so many like-minded people that have that growth mindset here that it really helps set the culture and climate of the building um, that I know I'm feeling now in my third year here, I've been able to have a, a hand in every student in this building, essentially, from sixth grade to eighth grade. And I, I feel that that with what, what we've done, what, what everybody has done with the growth mindset work, it's really made a difference here. Yeah. Um, again, I, I'm often one of the first to praise this administration because, again, I really like um, a lot of the initiatives and the incentives you've come up with. And I think that there has been a change in the school culture and I do appreciate it. I appreciate that. So let's shift away from education for a little bit. And I don't know much about your youth. We haven't talked too much about growing up. Do you have a favorite memory of, of being younger and growing up? Um, I'm going to word this, uh, I'm going to change the word again this a little bit because I do have something, um, a story I'd like to share that's kind of like personal. It's not necessarily my favorite, but it's a treasured memory. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of something everybody should kind of like approach certain things as. Um, My father, when he uh, worked, his company would, as an incentive, give him um, tickets to Boston Red Sox games. So he'd always take my brothers and myself to see the games. And I remember one game, it was a shutout. It wasn't that interesting a game. And there was the all-star ballot. Now, this was the old, like, punch card, like, hanging Chad style one. And I'm... Florida 2000? Yeah. So, I was looking at this, and I was just really bored. And um, this is this had to have been back in the mid-90s. But... Was it when the all-star game was in Boston? I don't think so. Like, I don't remember the specifics. Of it. I just remember it was like an all-star ballot that you punch out, which is going to come full circle in a moment. But I looked at it and I started to realize that if I punched it a certain way, I can make a pattern <laughs> and things would fall out. So I actually turned this like opening brochure 
And I took another one and I made like ear holders and I turned it into, for lack of a better term, a face mask okay. that I had my eye hole, my nose hole and my mouth that you could see through it. And my father just saw this like during the middle of the game. And my father was known for having a very, very big belly laugh and being very animated and full of life. He saw this and he just like lost it. And it became like a kind of an inside joke. I held on to this for at least 15, 20 years. Wow. And back in 2017, my father passed away after a long battle with um, cancer. And it devastated me. My father is my hero. I'm named after my father, and he meant the world to me. And it was a closed casket ceremony because, like, the cancer took its toll on him, and we wanted people to remember him as the strong individual he was. But the family got to say their goodbyes, and what I did was I pulled out I went through all my things. I found that old ballot sheet that I turned into a mask <laughs> and I put it in his um, casket with him because I wanted him that when he goes off onto the other side, he could always remember like, you know, the fact that his son was a bit of a space cadet, but could still make him laugh. It's got heavy and making me tear up a little bit. Well, again, good stories have to touch you. Oh, and it, and it did. All right. So I don't know how I'm going to come back from that story, but the next question is about food and what you I'm like to eat. I'm a big fan. And do you have a favorite hometown restaurant? Um, I do have a restaurant that we frequent. It's within walking distance. Um, Those are always the best ones. You know, there's just something special about it because it's like there at a moment's notice. Um, I'm very much a, um, usually a, I'm very meat centric. I, I love a good burger. There's no real good burger joints in my neck of the woods though but there is a really good breakfast place so i'm going to speak to that even though that my go-to food is typically um where is your neck of the woods by the way i live in north providence but i live right by smith street so i'm like literally a hop skip and a jump away from the school um but i'm gonna i have a really nice uh breakfast uh place called Maisie's. i don't know that one um it's if you know where um, North Providence Town Hall, Centerdale is. I used to live right over there. It's right across the street from it. Oh, it's in Centerdale. Yes. Well, Centerdale, North Providence, same thing, almost. It's on that street. Yes. But um, there's a breakfast place, and I'm going to recommend he listens to it. Um, well, actually, there's a few of them. Back um, when I taught in high school, I had several students approach me. And say that I reminded them of Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation because of my love of breakfast foods. Cause I could I'd see that. Bring it in and also my bolsterous ideologies. So my go-to meal at my favorite breakfast place is um, they have something called the two-by-two. Two. It's also known in other places Lumberjack where you get two eggs any style. And I always get my eggs scrambled. Um, you get two pieces of bacon, two sausage links, but I don't do the sausage links. I just do more bacon because bacon always trumps sausage. Like, hands down, no question. That's another Ron Swanson. Exactly. Um, I get two slices of French toast, although, um, depending upon the time of year, if I'm feeling reminiscent, like a connect, needed connection to my father, my father was big into waffles, I'll get a waffle instead. And then on the side, I get... um an order of uh, corned beef hash, which is from my days of being a Boy Scout, because when you're camping in the woods and you need to make your own food, corned beef hash was very easy to make. But the corned beef hash needs to be burnt to hell. It needs to be so crispy, you can almost taste it disintegrating in your mouth. And that is very specific. If they don't do that right, it bothers me. And then to drink, because I 
nine times out of ten, I only drink water. Um, but when I go out to breakfast and I have breakfast, I will get a chocolate milk. But And you're not going to be able to see this if you're listening, but imagine I'm holding my fingers very close together. It needs to be very, very, very light on the chocolate syrup. It's very specific. If it's pre-made chocolate milk, I will not touch it because it doesn't have the right balance. So just a dash of chocolate syrup. Exactly, like a hint of it even. A hint. A hint, like just just like the ghost of chocolate and within the milk. <laughs> so so after that meal, it's a weekend. You're going home. You have nothing to do. You want to put on a movie. What do you go to? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I worked in a video store. There's a lot of movies I like that it depends on um, what mood you're catching me in. Um, also, it depends on whether or not my son's awake because if my son's awake and he dominates the conversation... It'll either be his two go-to movies are Moana Love it. and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which are both great movies. But for me, the movies that I always like, that are always in my rotation, um, I consider the height of cinematic achievement, and you can't separate them into two. It's only one movie. It was separated to two for running time and to boost your ticket sales is I Love Kill Bill because it's an ode to martial arts movies, spy movies, um, westerns and it's just like Tarantino saying this is what I love and I want you to love it too and you can't help but feel that um, I am also a big fan of um, Mad Max Fury Road which is one of the greatest um, postmodern uh, feminist movies I've ever seen because it's it's not really the story about Max it's about the um, this it's more or less the story about uh, Imperiosa but it's just amazing the fact that it's all practical effects like it stops my heart when I watch the polecat scene but I'm also like partial to Cloverfield which is the single greatest film experience I've ever had because I saw it in private theater because nobody was there because it was the Patriots went the Super Bowl so I was literally the only one in the theater so I was allowed to just fully immerse myself in it um Leon the Professional like again it depends on the time like there's no such thing as having one absolute favorite movie I believe that there are movies for different moments. And uh, like you said, our, I think our kids are similar in age. And, and for me, lately, it's been that Moana and the Frozen. And you know, I'm, I'm super excited for the Disney Plus service to start. I already signed up. Um, I'm a D23 member, which is um, their special club that you sign up for online. I, got, I paid for my first three years already of Disney Plus, but they were like, if you... By two years, you'll get the third year free. I was like, well, I already know I want it. Why not just get that free year? Now, were you able to do the, the Hulu and the ESPN bundle too through the, the early signups? Um, I was not. I thought about it, but I'm not going to do it because, number one, um, I'm not really a mainstream sports kind of guy. So ESPN wouldn't have really been that necessary for me. And as far as Hulu, the only option they offered for it was the commercials and I'm spoiled. I don't want commercials on my Hulu. I'm still on the commercial plan for Hulu. Uh, for four bucks, I mean, you know, just to be able to shoot through everything, it, it makes all the difference to me. Fair enough. Uh, so on the flip side of movies for me is, is usually books and reading. Are you interested in reading? Obviously, yeah, as an, an English, English teacher, teacher yes. I would hope so. And uh, what do you like to read? Um, I read a little bit of everything. Um, my go-to... Um, for like, I have a Kindle, I have my iPad, I have like, you know, paperbacks, hardcovers, everything. I'm a collector of graphic novels. I worked for eight years at a comic shop. So, and I also, I personally learned how to read through comics. So comics hold a very special place in my heart. And I believe that they are a higher form of literature 
if you read them like some people present them. Um, I'm also a big fan of fiction, science fiction. Um, greatest thing I've ever taught, and I will, if I ever given the chance to teach this again, I will do it at a heartbeat, is 1984. Um, fun story, I almost broke up a couple when I taught 1984 because it was so <laughs> intense. Because I was teaching at two different periods. I turned the periods against each other because I was doing um, an experiment in the entire idea of party thinking and how easy it is to turn people against each other. And this um, couple, George and Rosa, were in two separate classes. And I let them know that, you know, just because they're not in my classroom, that doesn't mean the lesson ends. And if I ever see them fraternizing with others, they'll be labeled <laughs> enemies of the state. I was walking down the hall one day. George and Rosa were talking. George saw me and pushed Rosa into a classroom, <laughs> and I just heard her scream out, "What the hell!" <laughs> but um, 1984. I've gotten a lot of students calling back to it because I've often, when I've taught it, I've said that this is not a novel. It's an instruction manual how to take over. And with the media wars going on right now, they're like, I'm seeing a lot of like double speak and everything going on. I'm like, I warned you. A lot of parallels to 1984. Yeah, but it's 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 timeless. But um, big fan of um, Piers Anthony wrote a fantasy series called The Incarnations of Immortality. He was a famous science fiction writer who um, wanted to write a book on his philosophy of death, and they told him no. So he was like, okay. So he wrote a fantasy book about the Grim Reaper that's in disguise, his philosophy of death. And it changed how I view my relationship with like the process of dying it because it's so deep, but it's disguised as like, you know, fiction. What was the name of that again? Um, well, the name of the series is on a pale, uh, the, the, the name of the series is incarnation of immortality. The name of the book about death is called on a pale horse. But, um, again, I'll read almost anything that comes my way. Um, the only book that, honestly, I never really liked, I will not mention because as an English teacher, it's tantamount to heresy. So I'll leave that to the imagination. And if you happen to catch me in a good mood, you can ask me. I will mention it. I'll have to, I'll have to ask you after we're, we're done recording here. So I'm sure you have, for this next question, a whole bunch of things that you could talk about. But if, if I just said, gave you a mic and said, I need you to talk for me for 30 minutes, can't be about education, Go. What would you be able to speak about or want to speak about for that 30 minutes? I have done this numerous times um, where people just put me on the spot and say, just talk for a while. Um, I can almost literally talk about anything. Um, I am very, very well versed in the ways of pop culture. Um, I, I know like I could talk about um, the history of graphic novels, film, television as as valid art forms i could talk about professional wrestling i can if you even want to get specific i could spend more than half an hour talking about the montreal screw job because i'm still not over that um i could talk about politics um i could talk about how my desire to become a teacher um stemmed out of my fear for the part of the reason i became a teacher is my fear for the future because of the fact that i look at the way people are going into the world and they're just, we've become a very, and not everybody, this is just a general overization, but um, people are becoming as a society more and more selfish and what could it do for me that I'm trying to instill not just in education but the entire idea of empathy. And you know, it's not just about the stories we see in TV and the stories we read in a book. We have to read each other's stories to be better. 
Um, I could talk about um, how burgers are the greatest uh, culinary invention in the world because you could do so much with them. I could talk about almost anything, really. Sounds like, and I believe it. I, do, I don't doubt that, Mr. Salisbury. And the final question before we wrap up is, fast forward to June 2020, it's the end of the school year. What five words are you hoping that your students are using to describe your classroom? Um, well, first off, inspirational. Because again, you want that one student who says, he made a positive impact in my life. And again, it's not necessarily even about teaching you something of the curriculum. It could be changing about the idea about how you saw the world, could be changing how you even see yourself, but inspirational. Number two, creative, because I don't want to be a cookie cutter, like same as everybody else. I like bringing my own flair to things and having my life be different and stand out. Um, third, I would say, compassionate because again um, I know every student who comes into my room has a different story they have something that goes on outside the classroom and while when they're in the classroom I want them to focus on what their life is in that classroom I want them to know that I do understand that they have families they have lives and they have situations that I I might not I, I can't even relate to because growing up some of my students I cannot begin to fathom how they're able, like the strength of character is just so deep that I want to show them that I could do anything to help them be their advocates. So inspirational, creative, compassionate. Um, that's three so far. That's three. Um, I would this, say... This question made me pause when I was asked it. And, and I think we've done six or seven of these interviews and it's always, once we get past three, it's always the pause. Well, well, I've got like, well, I, I got the one I want to save for last. It's just figuring out the one in between. Um, I would say, it's a little, um, I, I don't, I, I kind of want to say unconventional, but I feel unconventional is also like Similar wrapped up in creative. creative. Yeah, it's, it's too. Um, we can take it though. Well, actually, how about this? How about driven? Because I'm not going, I, I don't let things hamper me. Like. I want to use the, um, we know the word juggernaut. Um, common misconception is people think the idea of juggernaut is something that cannot be stopped because it was an old um, biblical allegory about a giant um, structure that was, I'm going to use the word rampage, but that's not the right word, rampaging through a town. And people think it's a juggernaut is something that um, won't stop. But the thing is, it's not that it can't stop. I mean, it's not that it won't stop. It's that it can't stop. It, it keeps going because it just has to. And that's what I feel like my driven nature is. I keep going and I keep moving because I feel like this is the only way that honestly a positive um, and a better world can come about. Because if you do not work towards it, you're not going to get it. If you sit back and if you're a passenger in your life, if you're a spectator, then nothing will happen. You have to take control and go. And my last one is crazy because I just realized I am not completely there. <laughs> you just realized that? No, 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 no. I, no, I realize <laughs> it, but like having my students realize it because, oh, you know, it, it, um, you have to be ready to be the wild card. Um, and yeah, um, 
if they if you become predictable, if people expect what's coming out of you, they're not going to take the message. You have to be like crazy. You have to live a little bit differently from everybody else to achieve that je ne sais quoi, that X factor. So thank you for say, taking the time, sitting with us, answering these questions. This has been by far, by maybe almost triple the length of any of the other interviews we've done. So this will be our longest episode to date. We certainly appreciate all the hard work you put in with, with the students. Any last words? I'm trying to think of some profound advice I could give that's going to sound so deep, but honestly, on a, some level that um, it's going to just be enigmatic. So I'm just going to give the greatest random quote I can think of, which is, don't sweat the petty things and don't pet the sweaty things. <laughs> there we go. All right. Thank you, Mr. Salisbury. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Next week at Green, we have a PTO meeting. The PTO meeting will take place on Tuesday, October 8th, here at the school from 6 to 7 p.m. So we hope you come out to learn more about the programs happening at the school, um, our grade six transition, high school information. Um, it'll be very informative. Um, also, uh, a part of our anti-bullying program that we'll, we will be rolling out very soon. Also, our classical prep begins for our eighth grade students who have signed up for the test. Um, we hope to see a lot of our kids. We've had over almost 100 of our eighth grade students sign up to come and stay for a prep after school, which will happen from 2.45 to 3.45 p.m. And our after-school clubs will be also uh, taking place. Um, some will happen next week and some in the following weeks. And we also have bingo night. So just want to uh, make everybody aware, bingo night, it's always a fun night, will be happening on Thursday, October 24th. So we hope you all come out for that. It's a fun night. Come win some prizes and have some fun. Have a great week, everyone.